Welcome to the City Beautiful Church Solarium podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join us as we reflect and discuss the finer details of life in God. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good to see all of you this morning. Uh, wonderful to see all of you. Um, my, if you don't know, my name is Ryan. I'm pastor here at City Beautiful Church, uh, and we're currently in this series called Equipped. Uh, our, our kind of big vision the Lord has given us for this year uh, is loving community for bold exploration. We've, we've attacked that from several different angles, and, and we're kind of in this, this other series called Equipped. What are the actual properties that God has equipped us with through his Holy Spirit for the kind of exploration he's called us to? Um, I think about, you know, the, the great explorers uh, of the past, Magellan, Francis Drake, Dora, all of them, they had both these kind of two um, things with them. They always had a map, and they always had, um, you know, a backpack. So if you think about, like, our... And sometimes those maps and backpacks are the best of friends, and they sing to you, and they help you to solve crime, animal-related crimes. Um, so if you think about, like, our Bold Exploration series was really kind of the map. What is it that God is calling us to explore? What is it that God has written into our DNA that inspires us to go out into the world and to be his hands and feet, to see what he wants to say, what he wants to do? Equipped is a little bit more like the backpack. What are the things that God has given us, the tools that he's given us to be able to do that? And today, I'm really excited. I know I say this all the time about the things that I feel like the Lord's given me to speak, but this today is actually true. Um, it's, I, I want to I talk about what it means for us to hear the voice of God. We find this phrase over and over again in the words of Jesus. In Mark 4, 23, for example, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And I always imagine there's, there's one Jewish man uh, that's present that hasn't behaved himself with the Roman Empire, and he's saying, that's not very funny. I don't know. <laughs> So this is kind of, this is, this is my proposition for today. We have been equipped with ears to hear the voice of God. You and I have been equipped with ears to hear the voice of God. Let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you so much for your presence here. Lord, some of us uh, are very, very sensitive to it right now, and some of us uh, need a little bit more invitation, uh, and a little bit more courage to press into that. So, Lord, wherever we're at in terms of uh, recognizing and abiding in your presence this morning, we ask for more. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to animate us, to wake us up, to give us those eyes that see, to give us those ears that hear, that that we would be able to, to lay a marker down in this moment, as we see in so many times in Scripture, so many times in the story of your people where, where they've said, Here, this is the place that we met God. This is, this is the moment that we saw him, that we heard him. And this is the moment that we were changed. Lord, we give you permission to speak whatever you want this morning, whether it's to us corporately or it's to us as individuals. And of course, may all things ultimately be for your glory. Amen. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about this idea of hearing the voice of God. First of all, what are we talking about when we're talking about the voice of God? Secondly, what does God actually sound like 
Uh, and then finally, how practically do we go about training our ears, tuning in to be able to hear the voice of God? I think that phrase itself can be very triggering for many of us. We've, you know, I, one of the things I love about our community is that so many of us have grown up in different denominations of Christianity. Many of us didn't even come into the church until later on, and so we hear a phrase like, the voice of God, and it carries all of these different connotations. Some of them are really healthy, and some of them aren't so healthy. And so I think it's, it's really important for us to kind of lay the groundwork that we can all agree upon for what it actually means to hear the voice of God before we go any farther. And so we have to expand our understanding of what God speaks means. I, don't, I, ne I never want you to hear me that I'm reducing what the voice of God means. I actually want to expand it and open it up. Because hearing the voice of God or God speaking is almost always a metaphor. Almost always. Some people do literally hear the voice of God. I just finished reading um, a book called Finding God in the Waves uh, by Mike McGarg. Uh, maybe some of you know him from his work in The Liturgist. And, um, and I really appreciate his story. He became very disillusioned from Christianity. He was kind of a closeted atheist for several years, kind of went through this crisis of faith. And it was going to this little conference, not even sure of what he meant, and going to the Lord's, being invited to the Lord's table, not even believing any of it, and he heard this literal voice. And his nickname is Science Mike because he really loves science, and a, a lot of his passion right now is, is trying to integrate science and faith. And, and it's fascinating reading in the book, even he's trying to make sense of what it means to have heard a voice, because it doesn't fit into any of his paradigms. But God needed to move in his life in a way that didn't fit into his expectations of what God is supposed to be and how God is supposed to interact with us that actually brought him back to faith. And it's kind of been this fuel that's brought him back into uh, the arms of God. And I really love that. So sometimes God literally speaks to us in a, in a voice, in an audible voice. Um, but so often it goes beyond just an audible voice. I kind of think there's four main ways that God uh, speaks to us. And, and all of you, of course, should be taking notes because you're going to have your mind blown at several points today. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I think there's kind of four ways that God speaks to us. There's his direct revelation, um, scriptural revelation, communal re revelation, and natural. Um, that, that God speaks to us directly through his Holy Spirit. That, that God promises his spirit is with us, it will be inside of us, and we can communicate with God in that way. God speaks to us through his holy scriptures, that we believe the scriptures are divinely inspired. That when we come to scripture with ears open to actually hear God speak to us through that, he does. Um, through communal, I think this one's very important. I would say that the way that God speaks to us through community is kind of twofold. That we have the church universal, so we have our, you know, our local part of the body here, but he also speaks to us through our brothers and sisters around the world right now, and also through the church historical, that you and I stand on the shoulders of men and women who have gone before us for 2,000 years, learning what does God sound like. And we get to tap into that and hear God speak to us through the words of those who have come before. And then finally, natural, that God speaks to us through his creation. And scripture, time and again, kind of backs this up. And so there's this ecosystem of the way that God speaks to us. And all of those things kind of lend themselves to one another and create this bigger picture of what God really sounds like. And I think you and I really lose out on being able to hear God's voice when we discount one of those ways that he speaks. If we, if we you know, God, maybe it's, maybe it's scripture, maybe it's nature, maybe it's community uh, through the church, 
If we discount one of those things, we're cutting off the way that we're able to hear the voice of God. Um, Daniel and I were talking this week about uh, church movements and church ideas, and I, you know, I, I, one of the things I'm very passionate about um, is recognizing the, the great tradition that we belong to. And I think as soon as a church or a church movement or an individual comes across with this attitude that says something along the lines of like, you know, everybody's kind of been kidding themselves up until this point, and we're the ones that have the exclusive access to the voice of God. That's the moment that church movement, that's the moment that church, that's the moment that individual begins to die. Because who are we to say that we're the ones that have got it right and everybody else is kidding themselves? But we get to draw all of that together and continue this conversation that God has been having with his creation for thousands upon thousands of years. And so if we discount one of those ways in which God speaks to us, it skews our understanding of his character and his will. And these things should not be in conflict with one another. But I don't want you to hear that it's, it's easy or it's clear determining what God's voice is. Other, if that was the truth, then most of the conversations that we have as people of faith would have been solved a long time ago. But they give us a variety of vantage points. It's almost like picking up a diamond and slowly turning it and seeing each of the different facets begins to give us this fuller picture of what God really sounds like. And so when we're talking about the voice of God, I think we need to move away from it being this prescriptive clarity, although that will be part of it, and it's more about being drawn into relationship. It's about being drawn into the mystery of God. And so if that was what it means to hear the voice of God, then what is it that God actually has to say? Another way to say it is, what does God sound like? Everything that God thinks, speaks, and does is an expression of his love. Everything that God speaks, thinks, and does is an expression of his love. When we engage with the scripture and we're going through from the very beginning, we just have this word Elohim. It doesn't have a lot attached to it. It just means God. But by the time we come to the end of the story, we come to 1 John, and the big, the punchline, the revelation is God is love. God is love. That was, that's, that's the thing. That's the highest call that we can realize. And so then, by extension, we recognize that everything that God thinks, everything that God speaks, everything that God does is an expression of his love. Another thing that I'm very passionate about is calling out the church for proposing this schizophrenic God that we say, yes, yes, God is love. Until then, he gets really angry and all of these things, and all of a sudden, God leaves love behind and moves into this other space that we call wrath and judgment and all of these things. And somehow, we, we, we've created this God that can't decide within himself what it is that he really wants or what he really has to say. That God has a, uh, you know, kind of a patience timer. A lot of times because that's what you and I have experienced in life when it's come to those who claim to love us, is that love has an expiration date. And then love stops and then something else takes over. But if God is immutable, if God is never changing, if God is perfection, then everything that God speaks and does is an expression of his love. And so the work for you and I then is to begin to examine these concepts that we find in Scripture, the way that God interacts with us, and go, how is this actually an extension of his love? Because maybe it doesn't feel like it in the moment. You know, I think one of the things that we've really talked about a lot in our community is we don't make faith decisions based on what we feel. Our feelings are incredibly valuable. They point us to something else, but our feelings are not the conclusion in and of themselves. 
So I was trying to think of what's an analogy that really helps us to understand that everything that God thinks and feels and speaks and does is an expression of his love. And I was really kind of uh, working with this idea of FM radio. If you know anything about uh, radio broadcasting, there's, there's kind of one radio wave, and on that single radio wave, all of these different channels are, are tapped in. So FM is a frequency modulation. And so basically that means the frequency by which the waves are kind of compressed or expanded, and that's our spectrum. And each of the radio stations that we have are kind of tapped into certain parts of that. By the way, AM is amplitude modification, and that's when they get big and then they get little. That's what AM is. It's not a very efficient form of radio. It's dying. Get over it. So FM radio, and I think this is a really great example that FM radio is a lot like the way that God speaks to us, that everything God is saying to us is an expression of his love. But where you and I are, even from the person that's sitting next to you, you might be tuning into a very specific version of what that love sounds like to whatever you need to hear it. So we're going to do a little bit of experiment, and I don't know if this is going to work. We're going to see. So this is a retirement accounts. Okay. Only 26% of his... Please, Desposito, come on. Don't know what that is. It's fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sounds like Christianity to me. <laughs> but anyway, the the illusion is that all of these like all of these different channels are just being sent out and you're just kind of picking them out at random, but they're all on the same spectrum. That's why we go from kind of the high 80s to the the <laughs> I hit it to CD. Can anybody name that? That's our worship album. I actually borrowed this from the kids. <laughs> but the, the radio is all the same. It's all radio waves. It's all the same form of sound wave, but it's what's attached to it that we're able to tune into at each specific moment. And I think that's what it sounds like for us, that everything God is, God is constantly speaking. God is always speaking. But sometimes we're going to tune in to very specific expressions of what his love really means. And I think there's one frequency then that is clearer than all the others. So I want to take it just beyond everything that God thinks, feels, speaks, and does as an expression of his love to this. When God speaks, it sounds like Jesus. And Jesus sounds like love. Through the fall, we're going to be uh, stepping into this series of really examining how the Old Testament points us towards Jesus as the full revelation of what God really looks like. And so when God speaks, it sounds like Jesus. And this is not too divorced from what we find in Scripture when time and again it speaks of Jesus as the Word of God. In Greek, the word is logos. He is the logos of God. He's the reason of God. He's He's the word of God. When God speaks, it looks and sounds like Jesus. Um, this is uh, an absolutely fascinating person. This is Philo of Alexandria. He was a Jewish philosopher, lived in North Africa from 20 BC to 50 AD. So he's actually a contemporary of Jesus and Paul and the others. But it's highly unlikely that they were ever aware of each other. And Philo of Alexander, as a, as a Jew born in the Greek-speaking world, kind of had one foot in each camp, that he was raised with Jewish religion, but he was 
was also raised in Greek schools with Greek philosophy. And Philo began to examine what he was reading in the, the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, and comparing it with this idea of the logos that already existed in Greek philosophy. The Greeks said logos is kind of the, the animating fabric that holds the universe together. It's, 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 we can't see it, but it kind of holds all of these atoms together, and it kind of enables life to be possible. And then Philo is looking at the, the, the Jewish scriptures, and he's reading about the word of God and the wisdom of God, and how often it's almost portrayed with a personality. And he says, you know, it's, it's like this, this logos, this word of God, is almost like this second God, but not quite. It's like an extension of God that has a distinct personality. It's almost like the son of God. And many of the, the, the early Christians read the writings of Philo and considered him a prophet because he began to lay the foundation for our Trinitarian understanding of God without having ever actually met Jesus. And you can read Paul, you can read the book of Hebrews, you can read the writings of John, and you can find all of these little phrases that are very influenced by this thing that Philo had stumbled upon. And so what, what Philo was saying, and later what the early Christians were saying when they said Jesus is the Logos, the word of God, is that Jesus is the thing that animates the whole universe. Jesus is the thing that holds us all together. We find this in Colossians 1. We find it in Ephesians 1. We find it in John 1. We find it in 1 John 1, this idea of the cosmic Christ, that it's Jesus that kind of holds it all together and animates it. And so Jesus is always with us, whether or not we realize it. In the same way that radio waves are always passing through your body, whether you're tuned in or not. That's why you can't get Despacito out of your head. <laughs> it's literally passing through you right now. But it's like, it's, it is like radio waves, and it's constantly around us. But it's a question of whether or not we're going to tune in to listen. And so Jesus speaks of himself speaking, being the voice of God. In John 10, he's using this analogy of the sheep and the shepherds. He says this, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And what Jesus is telling us here as, as he posits himself as the good shepherd and that we are the sheep is he's saying the sheep learn the shepherd's voice over time. That the sheep learn to trust the shepherd and by extension to recognize his voice over time because he continually reveals himself to the sheep as one who is trustworthy. And this is what it's like for you and I when we're learning to hear the voice of God, when we're learning to, to understand the voice of Jesus, is it takes us time to tune in because there's so much static already in our ears that it becomes very hard for us to discern what is God and what is not. And so I want to give all of you permission, if you feel intimidated by this idea of hearing the voice of God, that it's not going to come to you overnight. There's nothing magical that you can do that's just going to all of a sudden open you up to it. That might happen. And it does sometimes. But a lot of times we have to tune ourselves. We have to learn slowly to recognize the voice of God when we hear it. And I think the second thing that's really important about this, especially from this passage, what Jesus is saying, is that we have to let Jesus show us what love is. We have to let Jesus reveal to us what love looks like. All of our definitions of love are severely limited 
and they're constricted by our own experience of what it is. And so you and I, growing up, we take our understanding of what love is, and then we kind of project that onto God, and that's the only thing that we're listening for. And you can see how limited that is when the voice of God only sounds like your father, your mother, your teachers, your pastors, whoever it might be, and you've narrowed, you've narrowed it down that you can't actually engage with them. But to allow Jesus to reveal to us what love really looks like, to give us a new revelation of love, is for us to begin to open our ears to really recognize his voice. And so how do we practically learn to hear the voice of God? I think this is the big question. We talk about it a lot, we, we kind of formulate what it means to hear the voice of God, but how practically do we do that? And I think sometimes we can be in danger of being a little too prescriptive when we talk about the voice of God, because again, all of us are only speaking out of our experience, what we've already heard, or rumors of what we've heard based on the podcasts that we listen to. But what does it really mean for us to practically learn to hear the voice of God? I've kind of recognized in my own life these four very basic steps and they're things that I continue to wrestle with. I do not take it lightly to say this is what the Lord is saying. I never, I never take that lightly because I respect that so much and recognizing that so much of my vocation, my role, the, the, the role that God has given me to live in this life is to speak on his behalf at times. And I think we all need to have this healthy reverence when it comes to hearing the voice of God and then speaking that out that none of us should take it lightly, but we are all empowered to do it. And so here's kind of the four basic steps that I've really come to. Number one, we lay an expectant foundation of belovedness. If we don't have that foundation of belovedness, it doesn't matter what you think you're hearing God say. It's probably not true. We have to lay this foundation, this expectant foundation of belovedness. And what does that mean for us to be the beloved? We explored this all at the beginning of the year, but I think specifically when we're talking about this concept of the, um, the, the voice of God, belovedness means you, number one, are capable of hearing his voice. I asked a friend a couple of weeks ago that who's been on a journey over the past year of learning how to listen to the voice of God. I said, what's the biggest revelation that you've had? And she said, honestly, the fact that I can even hear him has been the biggest revelation and it dwarfs everything else that I've recognized. And so for you to recognize as the beloved, as God's beloved, you're capable of hearing his voice. You're able, he's given you ears to hear. And secondly, God is already speaking and he wants you to listen. He's already speaking. He wants you to listen, to respond, to open up your ears. One of my absolute all-time heroes. Many of you that know me, no, I don't shut up about this guy. This is Henry Nouwen. Uh, Thursday was actually the 19th anniversary of his passing. And Nouwen uh, was born in Holland, spent most of his life in the United States. He was a Catholic priest. He taught at Yale. He's very esteemed for, um, for his analysis of what it means to be a priest. And in his 50s, um, he just kind of lost it all. His, his, he lost his faith. He entered into what we call a dark night of the soul. Um, he just lost his capacity to interact with God, to practice his faith. Uh, and so friends inv invited him to go and to live at this uh, little commune called Le Arc in France um, that's, that's uh, people with profound hand handicaps coming to live with people um, who are there to care for them and love them. 
And so Henry Nouwen moves into this space, and for six months, this community just loves him and ministers to him, and he begins to write about the process of coming back out of this dark night of the soul. And there was a dramatic change in, uh, in what he wrote after this process, that the books he wrote after that in his late 50s and on are just so drenched with this idea of being the beloved of God, and indeed he actually left the academic world and moved to another one of these little homes in Canada and became the priest for this little community of the profoundly handicapped. And God continued to speak to him so much there um, about his will and who he really is. And this comes from one of his books called The Life of the Beloved. He says this, I kept running around it in large or small circles, always looking for someone or something able to convince me of my belovedness. Listen to this. This is for many of you. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. When you peel back all of your triumphs and tragedies, all of your accomplishments, all of your failures, all of the labels that have been heaped on you for years and years and years, when you peel it all back to the center of the thing, it's that you are the beloved. You are defined by how God sees you and accepts you. And there's nothing that you do that can compromise that. So learning to listen is learning to be loved. Learning to listen to God, learning to listen to the people around us is learning to be loved. So much of the time we tell ourselves that we are incapable of listening and what we're really saying is we are incapable of being loved. We don't think that we deserve it. We think that's for someone else, but we ourselves don't have the capability or the value to be able to hear that we are to be loved. And I think many of the people in this room that, that have been married for a while will tell you how intimately connected learning how to listen is in learning how to receive love. Because when we don't listen and we receive the words of our beloved, it feels like an attack on our character. But maybe it's the true kindness that's going to lead us into genuine, genuine freedom. And I think that's doubly true with us being able to hear the voice of God, is learning to let him love us learning to allow him to speak to us and believing that perhaps we are capable of it because he's deemed us worthy. I think no one in this room has a monopoly on hearing the voice of God, but some of us have special vocations where that's true. I've kind of steered away from using the term prophecy until now because I think it, it's another one of those very loaded terms. And when we think of prophets, we think about the Old Testament prophet, the person on the outside, outside the city walls, outside the community that's kind of chucking stones over the wall, waking up the priests and the kings and, and saying, hey, you're, 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 you're missing it. You're, you're off course. You need to get back on course. But the Old Testament prophet is on the inside of the outside. But we find this pattern in the New Testament, and I think what we're trying to craft in our community here, that we're all on the inside. The New Testament model for the prophet is someone who's inside the community. And I think a lot of times, those of us who feel a call to the prophetic vocation or spiritual gift often take that mentality of the Old Testament prophets, that we're the ones that are on the outside. We have the exclusive access to the voice of God, and the, those ones in there, inside the city gates, are kind of kidding themselves, and they need me to shake them up, to bring them back on course. 
But there's a level of humility and openness and togetherness that we find in the New Testament model. And I think what's really key then is that you learn to be sensitive to the language that God uses with you specifically. That God is going to speak to you in ways that maybe you're even too familiar with to recognize that it's actually his voice. Because you call it your conscience. Because you feel moved when you see something beautiful in nature. But to begin to recognize, that's God speaking to me. And to be able to name it that way. We say, if, it, you know, if it's from God, then it's true. But I think it also works the other way around. If it's true, that's God speaking to us. And so recognizing, does God speak to you in words? Does he speak to you in images? Does he give you a hunch or an inclination? Learning how to recognize the language that God already speaks to you with is the foundation upon which you can begin to be surprised by how else he speaks to you. So number one, we lay an expectant foundation of belovedness. Number two, we clear space in our lives to be able to listen. We've been speaking about this a lot recently. In 1 Kings 19, there's this um, amazing story with Elijah. He's just kind of gone to battle with the prophets of Baal, and he's like really cocky, and he's calling them out because Baal's not showing up and all of this stuff. And then this woman, um, like, threatens him, and so he freaks out, and he runs away, and he runs up into the mountains, and he hides in this cave. And then God speaks to him and says, come out of the cave, uh, because the presence of God is about to pass before you. He says, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. So he comes out of the cave, and he's standing there expectant, and then there's this huge storm that comes through, and it says, but God was not in the storm. And then there's this gigantic earthquake, everything's shaking, and it goes away, it says, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there's this gigantic fire. You know, we've seen God show up as a fire so many times. But God was not in the fire. And it says that there's this gentle breeze that comes in, and the still, small voice speaks to Elijah out of the breeze. And I think that's so powerful, because God is teaching Elijah how to clear the space, how to learn to be still, to be quiet, to hear his voice said before, there's so much static in the world around us that we can't even tune in, let alone discern what's God, what's our ego, what's our cultural expectations, and so on and so forth, all these different voices. And all this static prevents us from being able to tune in. And so part of the practice of the presence of God is for you and I to learn how to observe those noisy thoughts that keep creeping into the silence that we're trying to create to meet God, and then to do business with them. And this, of course, is where so many of the spiritual gifts that I've been talking about come into play, that so many of them are about learning how to reclaim the space that's for God to speak and to get rid of all of the distractions so that we can begin to hear him. So October 8th, you know, we're doing this practice, we're launching several groups, and and every Thursday from mid-October to the end of the year, we're going to come in here on Thursdays and just practice the spiritual disciplines. But we're going to practice silence. We're going to practice solitude. We're going to practice these things that are teaching us how to clear the space to reclaim it so that God can speak into it. Um, thirdly, we measure what we think we've heard with what we already know about God. If there are many of us that are afraid of the idea of hearing the voice of God, some of us are all too eager to name things as the voice without doing any sort of reflection. I think that if you feel like God is giving you an image or he's saying something to you, the best question you can ask in that moment is, does this sound like God? And it seems so obvious, but sometimes we can be so excited 
that we've received this thing that we'll run around with it and we've never paused to be reflective and go, does this actually sound like God based on what I already know about his character? Again, through what God has revealed to me until this point, through the church, universal and historical, through scripture, and even through nature. That God does not change his character, but our awareness of it continues to build from generation to generation. And so if you're sitting here and you feel like God's saying that we need to all wear tinfoil caps because, you know, the aliens are about to attack or whatever, and we just need to do it, thus saith the Lord, you might want to slow down and reflect a little bit. Does this sound like God? Does this look like his character, specifically as revealed in Jesus? And this is, of course, where we're talking about the power of discernment of learning to discern, as it says in Scripture, testing the spirit, testing the attitude. And I think the power of a word, when God speaks to you directly, someone else comes to you and says, here's what I feel like God's saying. The power of a word I've recognized is less in the grandiose. It's less in the, the, the word that comes and it's about, you know, this big giant thing that God's going to do that's kind of intangible. Like that's, there's, there's time and a space for that, but to me, the real power of a word is in its specificity to the person who's listening. It's when someone comes and says, this is what God's saying to you. And maybe it's a word of knowledge where they're revealing something about the person that was previously hidden. Maybe it's uh, a specific word of hope or whatever it might be. It's about specificity. I remember several years ago, we were doing a little conference at my previous church in Nashville, and one of my spiritual mothers, Lydia, was teaching about hearing the voice of God, and there was about a dozen of us. And so at the end, she went around to give a word to each person and teaching us how to receive a word, how to process it. And she came to me kind of last, and I was working at the church already at this moment. She comes up and she says, um, well, Ryan, I, I just feel like God is saying um, that he's really pleased with you. And I was like, seriously, that's it? <laughs> Come on, you know, because I want the like, God is going to just like do this thing and you're gonna go to this place and you know, like your wife's name will be this, you know, like those are the kind of things that we want. <laughs> By the way, just standard rule of thumb, avoid uh, the three M's. Don't prophesy marriage, don't, pro wait, B's, brides, babies, and burials. Just avoid those. If you're hearing any of those things, bring it to me, and we'll talk. <laughs> we, we, were, we, we, were doing, we were doing some ministry at a, at a, a music festival several years ago, and, and, and someone came up to this other person in our group and just said, I just feel like God's saying your wife's name is Melissa, and she's here this week. <laughs> That's just mean. <laughs> it's like we all need to wear name tags or something. But anyway, so Lydia gives me this word, God is really pleased with you, and initially I was like, that's so blasé, like, what is that? But I realized I've held on to that so tightly for six or seven years now, because one of my major issues, specifically within my ministry, is going, am I doing this right? Like, is God, somebody even called me out on it, the, like, a couple of months ago, but because I said, they were like, well, what's the first thing that you would want to say to God when you arrive when you, when, you, when you come to the pearly gates. And I said, my, my initial thought was to go, God, I'm sorry for the time that I wasted. And they were like, are you kidding me? Like, you really think that that's the thing that's on God's mind the first time he meets you face to face? And so this, I, this, this word that God is pleased with me has actually become so important to me at several moments in my life when I'm questioning my value, when I'm questioning my performance, whatever it might be. And the power really there is in the specificity, not in the grandiose phrases. And I think then it, it encourage us to, encourages us to value all the ways that God speaks. 
especially as God speaks to us through scripture and through the church. Because then we have a place to size things up to. That you and I, you don't have to discern the voice of God in a vacuum. It's not up to you to be the only bastion of his voice, to be the only radio that's tuning in to hear him. But that you get to express that and carry on the conversation that the church has been having with God for thousands of years. I think this is so important in discerning when you receive a word, either directly from the Lord or somebody says something to you, or if you're giving it to someone. If what you hear cannot be traced back to belovedness as its foundation and forward to hope, either keep listening or question the truth of the word. This is very, very important. If you can't do the work to trace it back to its foundation of belovedness or recognize that it speaks to some sort of hope, it might not be true or it's only half of a word. Because we believe, because of what we see in Jesus, that God is a God of redemption and hope, even if the word is painful. And again, this is where we have, uh, we have tainted understanding of God is love, that we think God is a retributive God. And so sometimes God speaks out of his retribution. But God speaks out of redemption, that he's always calling us back home. And sometimes the things he's going to speak to us are very painful. But in Hebrews it says, God disciplines those whom he loves. Because it's always with hope. There's always a chance to come back. There's always the chance for repentance. This is, you know, we're, we're kind of in the Jewish New Year right now, and that's the big thing is repentance, teshuva, which means coming back home. God is always inviting us to come back home. And so if you hear a word and it doesn't have hope of redemption, of coming back home, you haven't heard a complete word. There's this whole beautiful little chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul is talking about you know, good order in worship and what it means to hear the voice of God. Uh, and he says this in, in right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So what, he's, he, what is prophecy to Paul? It's speaking on behalf of God in a way that comforts and challenges and encourages and exhorts people to continue to move forward. There's always that element of hope in it. And so we have to do the work and discernment of recognizing, is this an extension of my belovedness? And is there hope? Is there a calling back home to come into deeper relationship with God? And then finally, the fourth thing that I would say I've really learned, we remain obedient when God speaks to hold his word or to act upon it. So if the first really important question that you can ask is, does this sound like God? Maybe the second one is to go, is this for me or is this to be shared? Because a lot of times we'll, we'll skip over that as well. And, you know, it's like, it's like I said a couple, uh, when we're talking about spiritual di um, disciplines, you know, with, with secrecy to go, if, if you feed a homeless person in the woods and no one's around to see it, did it actually happen? Sometimes we have that attitude when God speaks. If I don't share this with somebody, if I don't run in and tell this person, God just said this thing to me, then it's not really going to come true. And we actually betray the fact that we don't trust God to do what he says he's going to do. And I think 90% of what God speaks to you and I is for intercession. That he's saying, just pray on this and watch and see what I do in that person's life. And a lot of times that's what God's calling us to because the way he speaks to us is to encourage us to be able to trust him. And sometimes he's going to say, I want you to go to this person and I want, to sh I want you to share this thing. 
but we have to be able to discern what are we to do when God speaks. I love, you know, the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel really center in on Jesus' mother Mary. And, you know, angels come to her and speak, and, and Elizabeth prophesies over her, and angels are coming to Joseph and is sharing with him, and it's just like all of this revelation going on. And there's this beautiful little line in Luke 2. It says this, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I love that, because you can imagine, I mean, if that was me, if I was, you know, a 16-year-old pregnant girl, it, you know, could happen, uh, I would be like, oh my gosh, I've got to go, I've got to say this, I've got to go process with my mentor, or go say this thing to my da 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 whatever. But it's like, no, Mary stored these things within herself and just contemplated them in silence. Like, she had this, this wisdom beyond her years to know, I'm just going to hold this as this divine secret between me and God. Because she recognized this is God saying to her, watch what I'm going to do and pray. Just, just leave it there for now and see what I'm going to do. And I think then when we do receive a word from the Lord, and it is something that we feel like is to be shared, it's really valuable to be able to hand that over for testing. And this is the place that I think humble authority really comes into the equation. Humble authority, I think, is really, really valuable to be able to say, I am capable of hearing the voice of God, but I also haven't arrived with the greatest sense of clarity and tuning, so I'm actually going to share it with my community, maybe the people that are really close to me, maybe the body at large, and I'm, instead of doing this, thus saith the Lord thing, I'm handing it over to them to test it and to weigh it carefully and see what they have to say. Several years ago, again, at our church, we, we had this, um, we had this like, kind of Facebook group for everybody in our church, and people could put up things they felt like the Lord was saying, or prayer requests or something, and there was this, this guy that had come to our church just for a couple months, and he put in there, uh, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit's saying. You ready for this? When boys become men in this church, women will step down from assumed roles of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, that's what we said. <laughs> and we were like, huh. And several people were really gracious. and like, can you expand on that a little bit more? And he says, no, I think it's pretty clear. That's what the Lord said to me. And it entered into this big thing, and he just refused. And then he started to become the martyr. Again, it's like that Old Testament version of the prophet who's outside the walls doing the, like, thus saith the Lord. Like, as soon as you're in conversation with anybody, like, and you lay down the Holy Spirit trump card, it, it's over. The conversation's done. You know what I mean? And it caused a tremendous amount of confusion. And we had to go and sit with this guy for, like, four hours. And it was, like, we walked away and we're like, that's just demonic. It was, it was really, it was really demonic. And I think a lot of times for us to have this humble authority to go, I'm capable, I know that God has designed me to hear his voice, and yet I'm still in the process of learning, and I'm to do this in community, really counteracts that Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, Holy Spirit, trump card mentality. And I think when I began to release myself from the burden that I have to get it right every time, it actually gave me greater permission to experiment, to trust other people and to go, Here's what I feel like I'm saying, and put it in somebody else's lap and say, help me. What do you hear? What do you, what do you think? How does this size up with what we know about God? And it's actually, that was the path to me to encourage me, like, oh my goodness, I'm hearing correctly. And it gave me the boldness to be able to go deeper and deeper with it. At the end of that chapter in Corinthians, Paul says this. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits 
of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. I think there's three really beautiful things to kind of draw out as Paul's talking about order and worship. Number one, the community is careful. The community is careful. I think a lot of times we have this ongoing battle between creating a safe place and creating a free place that it's, it's safe and no one's going to be abused or taken advantage of, but there's also freedom to experiment, to try, to get it wrong, to get it right, to be surprised by what God says. And if we can choose to be a careful community that lives in the tension between freedom and safety, that gives us permission to begin to, to tune our ears to hear the voice of God and to share that with one another. Secondly, the community submits to itself. When he says, you know, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, what's he saying? The people that can hear the voice of God submit to the other people that can hear the voice of God. And what does that mean? It's, it's those among us who know what God's heart is. And we're able to kind of relay that and help to craft other people's journey as they're learning to tune into the voice of God. I think the last thing is really fascinating. And to Paul, when God speaks, the opposite of disorder isn't clarity. He says God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. I think that's fascinating. The opposite of disorder is not clarity. It's not, God, it's not a prescriptive thing that we can write down everything that God's ever spoken, and that's kind of it, and we're all over and done with. It, the, the, it's not clarity, but it's peace. What does that mean? It means communion, togetherness with God togetherness with one another that when God speaks that's what happens and you and I get to step into that mystery of togetherness and communion with God and with one another and so we're going to take some time this morning and we're going to practice the presence of God so that we can hear his voice and the first thing that we're going to do before we enter into worship is that we're going to listen uh, we're just going to spend some time in quiet, learning to tune our ears and listening to what God wants to speak to each one of us. And maybe he'll give you a word, maybe he'll give you an image, maybe it'll be a hunch, maybe he'll just bring up a scriptural verse. I think that's an incredibly powerful way that God speaks to us. But we're just going to take a couple minutes, sit in silence in that, and then I want you to turn to the person that's next to you, hopefully it's you know, someone that you came with and you really trust, and just say, here's what I feel like the Lord's revealing to me. And for you to have that humble authority just to, to give it to them and to see what they have to say. And then I want you guys to pray over one another that you would continue on the journey of hearing the voice of God. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to practice listening and then sharing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that first and foremost, the core of our existence is that we are loved by you. Just like John tells us, this, this is what love is. Not that, not that we've loved you, but that you first loved us you call us your beloved. And Lord, that means that not only are we capable of hearing your voice, but that you want to speak to each of us, and you are speaking to each of us. The Holy Spirit, I invite you right now in this moment to open the ears of all of your beloved that are present. Speak to us in ways that are really familiar, and speak to us in ways that really surprise us, but give us the confidence to name it as your voice, and not just the, the, the machinations of our own minds. So Father, in this time of silence, we give you permission to speak because we are listening. <laughs> 